I didn't do it. Five years ago, I had no idea I'd be here. Who are you, anyway? What are you taking for? I must be dreaming. Listen, I'll, I'll never eat a double cheeseburger before bed again, really. I'm telling you, I didn't do it. But if I did do it, it was an accident. Upon beginning your esoteric cogitations and articulating your superficial sentimentalities, amicable philosophical and psychological observations, beware of platitudinous ponderosities. Are we really the dream police? The dream police, they live inside of my bed. The dream police, they come to me in my head. The dream police, they're going to arrest me now. Oh no! The Dream Police, da na 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 And welcome to your Cheap Trick podcast, Cheap Talk with Trick Chat. I'm Ken Mills, and I'm joined by BJ Kahuna. Hello. And the ever effervescent Dean Falcone. It sounds like a soda. It does. It, it does. You, you pop tonight? You poppy today? I'm feeling... Pop drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're celebrating a bit of an anniversary here this month uh bj what is the anniversary we are celebrating it's the 35th anniversary of the release of dream police which came out in september of 1979 this is one of those albums this is one of those uh cornerstones of the band and this is at this point cheap trick became bigger than cheap trick with uh with budokan and they kind of cemented that with this album what are your overview thoughts on Dream Police, Dean Falcone? You know, everybody says the first three. And I'm definitely the first five, and this one is probably my third. Um, this is the first. Uh, this is the first album I ever bought by them. New, you know, I kind of got Budokan after a couple of months, and uh, so for me, this was this was the big one. So you know, besides loving it and all the memories that go along with it. And uh, this is, you know, it's like Heaven Tonight. It's got every, you know, it's it's got everything on it. It's got pop songs, dark songs. It's it's, you know, '79 was a good year for them. Mm-hmm. Bj, your thoughts? Yeah, of course, I love it. I love the production on this record. I, this was probably of the three that Tom Werman did. This it's got to be the best production-wise. Even though I, I love the production in color too, but yeah, this the record just sounds amazing. And, um, I mean, the whole story behind it, you know, I, I, I always think of it where when uh, at a moment in a band's career when they have like a, a choke or clutch moment, like the bases were loaded from Budokan and they needed to put, they, they could have, you know, they could have become huge superstars with their next album. You know, they were set up to, to do it. But the funny thing about Dream Police is they wrote and recorded the whole record before Budokan even became a hit. 
So they didn't have the opportunity to have the capitalizing on the success in mind when they made it, but it was still seemed like a, a perfect record. They couldn't have done a better job of trying to put something out that would be a big hit uh, following on the heels of Budokan, you know? Mm-hmm. It, and it seems like a natural successor to Heaven Tonight. I mean, it sounds like that would be the album that came right after Heaven Tonight. Yeah, sure, yeah. Agreed. Um, anyone that knows me knows that I have a fondness for that band called Kiss. Has anyone ever thought it was kind of weird how their parallel with uh, their, their 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 story with their albums and Cheap Trick's story with their albums are kind of paralleled? Like, I have three albums that for the most part go largely ignored. Then a live album comes out, and then it comes out with this slick, uh, career-defining, iconic album that they follow up on. I yeah. always that was very interesting. That was just that weird '70s fad of for live albums that you know, I don't I don't really know what it was all about, but for some reason, live albums became a big deal. But, well, I know. think because you know. Back then, I mean, I'm, I don't know how old you guys are, but in the late 70s, there was nothing to do but go to live shows. And they were like $5 to go see Loyster Call 18 times, or you know. Yeah. And, right. and I think those, you know, just live, live, you know, that was your souvenir from the show. And it was just, it just seemed when a live, live album came out, it, was, it just meant more because you probably saw one of those shows. Yeah, and let's keep in mind that for four ninety nine, you could see the band live. You could also get the uh, live album of that and the tour book if there was one and a t shirt for probably under twenty bucks. So, yeah. so BJ, how did this album do on the charts? It made it to number six, and it went platinum in a few months, I think. But it wasn't, you know, a huge hit, and it didn't sell as many as Budokan. And and it did, Budokan charted higher than that, I think. Budokan made it to number four or something like that. So, but yeah, it was a top ten platinum album. Yeah. But you know, I'm sure they had the record label and the band probably had higher hopes than even that following Budokan. Well, this is one of those albums that has stuck in our culture, and uh, whether it's the Dream Police or the use of voices in the TV show How I Met Your Mother and all these various things. Uh, it, it definitely was a great follow-up to what I feel was an, another great album, Budokan. Um, let's, let's, let's look at the cover. They say you can't judge a book by its cover, but let's, uh, let's put this album up on the racks and see what we think of the concept of the cover. And Any thoughts on that? It's amazing. It's, I absolutely love it. it yeah, obviously, it's, it's got to be their best album cover. And, I mean... The gatefold is just the coolest thing ever. The the picture yes. on the back, the the inner sleeve picture, it's just unbelievable. The whole package is is just I mean, this is a this is just an amazing example. Like one of the best examples probably to illustrate just how much we've lost now in the digital era. Uh, this packaging for this record is so cool. And you know, nowadays now with new records, you have nothing you can't even have anything like this. It's really sad. Because when you look at something like this, it's so great. Yeah, it's as close to a concept kind of album as they could probably ever do. And the great thing about this, not you know, because it all fit into all the um, publicity and everything. All the records are you know the huge stand-ups of the four of them, and the lineups. You know, the I mean, it was everywhere. 
which was so cool on top of it. But it was there was something you know something meaty about it because there was a, a concept to it. And I guess we have to talk about the videos a little bit. Uh, we can go into this later in depth as we get to the actual songs, but. We got to see those costumes. We got to see those sets uh, live. You know, when when Move, for example, you saw the the lineup, which is on the inside of the, the gate uh, fold. It, it it was it was wonderful how they worked that all together. The synchronicity of all that it was fantastic. And they kind of worked in concept together. When you see the three videos, they kind of work into each other. Obviously, they must have filmed them at the same time, but they kept bringing things from other ones into each each one. You know, and that was that was cool. Well, I remember seeing. Uh, I remember on Don Kirshner's rock concert, they aired that clip in its full. And I remember on Pink Lady and Jeff, yes. they were like, "Cheap Trick's going to be here. Cheap Trick's going to be here." And then they showed the video for Dream Police it and the video drove, for Voices. I drove home like insane to make sure I didn't miss it, and it was a video, and I was very bummed out. I remember my friend Billy Mertz. His dad was uh, an, an Air Force guy. And he was the kind of guy that, like, we'd be in his office. He had this really kick-ass stereo, and we'd be listening to, like, Pink Floyd albums and, you know, Alice Cooper and all this stuff. And we'd just get, like, he he would come in, and we'd be, like, laying there, staring up at the ceiling, just listening to Pink Floyd. And he's like, I don't get you guys, you know what I mean? And, and he'd always call us girls. He'd say, like, well, what are you girls watching tonight? And when... We got all excited about Cheap Trick being on Pink Lady and Jeff. He was like, "So this is what you're into this week," and it was it was that kind of thing. But it was also anything that uh, a parental figure hated must have been cool. So, you know that <laughs> rock and roll wins out. Uh, so yeah, that, it was it was a great time to be a Cheap Trick fan. And uh, this was when the magazines started, for sure. This is when you saw them, not just in Cream, but they started creeping into 16 Magazine. Well, that's, you know, they're one of the real, I can't really think of more than four or five bands that really had four unique personalities when you looked at a picture. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, the Beatles and uh, the Monkees. I mean, they, were, they had that cartoon thing. I mean, yeah. it, it, you know. Which, I, by the way... Aren't you guys kind of surprised no one ever floated Cheap Trick as a cartoon? I know that there is rock and roll, but it just would have been cool to see them go on adventures every week. I think it could have worked. I, I, I definitely would have bought a Cheap Trick lunchbox. Well, it was around this time where, where supposedly uh, somebody was writing a... The guy who wrote the Superman screenplay, I think, was write, supposedly was writing a screenplay for a Cheap Trick movie. Right. And, it, well, and they were supposed to be in um, Rock and Roll High School originally, they were asked. They were asked, yeah, they turned it down. Good. I guess because they planned on making their own movie instead of being in someone else's movie. At the time, that must have been their thinking. Right. But yeah, I would love to hear the song they would have written called Rock and Roll High School, you know? Fucking great. They should just do their own anyway. That <laughs> would be, you know, guys, if you're looking for something to write, there you go. But, you know, in Mike Hayes' book, if you read what Tom Werman says about this record, it's crazy. He calls yeah. it a disaster. And, you know, it was a rush job. He said he had to do it in, they had to do it in 30 days. And he said, uh, his exact quote was, it could have been much better. I just, I was just, it was just made too fast. Right. And, and so that's what's insane is they rushed through making the album because it was supposed to come out in February, I think. And then yeah. Budokan hit and they put it on the shelf for eight, eight months or whatever. And, right. uh. 
so then if they would have had that extra time to to maybe write more songs or you know put the album together differently because tom werman obviously was really disappointed by the working conditions and um it's just really ironic that then after they went through this rush job to get it done then it just got shelved right then you would have time to keep going i mean obviously they had a tour for budokan success yeah yeah but um but yeah that that's it is crazy you it's hurry up and then you have you know it doesn't come out for nine months when you could have worked on it longer but you know working on stuff long might you know could have been detrimental too yeah but also but also at least they would have had the the frame of reference of we're following a hit yeah you know we well let's do this right instead of um which could be a shitty pressure too and yeah that's true choke on that too yeah do you think that they would have done gonna raise hell based on that well you gotta think rick nielsen was gonna do whatever the hell he wanted to do really but um and and really what better songs could they have written than like dream police or voices to try to have a hit following budokan they had that they gave away like the ones they gave to rick derringer and stuff they're not great songs no well i mean which is why they gave them away i guess (laughs) and that one need a little girl just like you is one of the earliest songs that rick wrote i think for cheap trick like back to 73 or so well what i mean by by saying they might not have written gonna raise hell is because there was nothing on budokan like gonna raise hell so the has that dark thing what was that I said, Need Your Love has that dark thing, too. Yes, yes. But I'm just thinking that, uh, you know, there's, for a commercial disco song with rock, uh, you know, Gonna Raise Hell, I just don't see the powers that be saying, look, we want something more like, I want you to want me again. That's what probably would have happened. That's what happened with Next Position, Please. So I don't think it's a good thing. Right. So I'm kind of glad it worked out like it did. One of the hottest rock groups in America is appearing tonight at the Spectrum and TV10 Sheila Allen this afternoon. Talk with a group known as Cheap Trick. All is pretty quiet here at the Spectrum right now, but at 8 o'clock the place will really be jumping with the sounds of Cheap Trick. A foursome, pretty fantastic. Compared to everything from Kiss to the Who to the What, the Where, the Why, and the Whatever. I'm here with guitar picking Rick Nielsen, who is known for his baseball cap and his, shall we say, unusual attire. And I want to ask you, how would you describe your music? Uh, well, I'd rather talk about your clothes, Sheila, but uh, let's see. Our music was probably like, uh, it's, a, it's a, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies and the, the Eagles uh, mixed with a little Lawrence Welcome plate at 747 volume. And before Rick left, he threw two guitar picks at me, something he's pretty famous for now. He throws about 42, about 100 of them out to the audience during every show. With Cheap Trick, I'm Sheila Ellen for TV10 News. Let's, let's, let's start with side one, track one, and it is, of course, Dream Police. Your thoughts, BJ, on Dream Police? Well, this is basically like the ultimate Cheap Trick song. You know, it's incredibly catchy. But it's also like really intricate and like ambitious songwriting. On the surface, it's it's just a pop song, but there's this there's an underlying darkness. That's what cheap you know. That's what everyone what all cheap trick fans love about the band is that kind of dichotomy there. And yeah. it, the the song's kind of strange, you know. But it's also just a really catchy song. So you know, on the surface, it's a catchy, poppy song. But then underneath, there's this darkness and weirdness, and that's cheap trick in a nutshell, really. And it's just amazing musicianship, incredible vocals, so many twists and turns in the song. 
you know, Robin Zander with multiple personalities. It's and it's a great single, but it's also kind of complicated and weird. And that's just cheap trick. So it's kind of this one song kind of embodies everything yeah. that the band was about, really. Well said. And the and the crazy Rick Middle. I mean, it's really everything that Cheap Trick does in one song. Yeah. Nuts in that crazy middle part. Yep. Which you know, Ultramental is. Does it? Does it? Have you ever heard that? Yeah, yeah. I have a live version. Actually, I think it's on the Stooky episode. I put it on there. I think. I go back to that. I don't think I ever heard that. Because that you know that's a riff that he you know they also kind of use that in the middle of um, I love you, honey, but I hate your friends. It's another one of those crazy, you know, diminished crazy little scaly things what a crazy part absolutely and this is be when and this has went on to become a rock staple uh both on fm radio and in the hearts and minds of cheap trick fans everywhere but uh this is just one of those songs that everybody knows even if they don't even realize that it's cheap trick everybody knows this song well now it's officially iconic i mean it's been in the simpsons Yes, I mean it's it, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I mean, uh, um, I mean it's, it's it's there, and you know the Green Police. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, I mean it's in The Simpsons, and that's it. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's as that's as iconic as you get. Do you guys want to talk about that Green Police thing? Was that a Super Bowl ad, or was it just a? It was a Hyundai Hyundai commercial or whatever, something Audi. like Audi commercial, yeah. Yeah. In 2010, Cheap Trick re-recorded the track as Green Police for the controversial Green Police advertisement, which aired during the Super Bowl for Audi. So. I think this is just uh, another uh, arrow pointing to the genius of Rick Nielsen. I love this song. It's it's just fantastic. There's so many great Beatlesisms in it, and uh, just just fantastic. There's nothing I can say bad about it. As a matter of fact, you guys might as well just say that all of Ken's opinion is love it on this album. So let's get on to the what was that? I was gonna say don't forget the Who because again it's got yes. that. That who power chord with the, you know, mm-hmm. the arpeggios going behind it, which is you know. And amazing production. How yeah. do you how do you guys feel about the synth in the song? I love the synth and the, I love the strings. Yeah. I mean, those strings, those are beautiful. The arrangements, I mean, that's not you know fooling around. There's some like really cool shit going on in there. This always reminded me of like George Martin though, which was weird because we were later to have him as the next producer. Yeah. And I think I th- I always think of Dream Police as like Rick Nielsen's Born to Run, where he just uh, th- you know threw everything and just went just uh, it's just like I said it's a really ambitious songwriting he and he just went for it with this yeah, song. There are some some great similarities between those song structures now that you mention. Yeah, I think Born to Run was Bruce Springsteen just trying to write the ultimate Bruce Springsteen song, and that seems like what um, Rick was doing with this song. I think. Wow. Fantastic. Well, the next track is Way of the World, written by Robin Zander and Rick Nielsen. What are your thoughts on Way of the World, Dean? Uh, 
probably my favorite song on this album. Um, it's got again, it's got everything for me. The, the melody is crazy. I'm not quite sure what it's about, but uh, you know, again, I went back. You know, I was listening to it last night. It's like, wow, do I really know what the song is even about? And I, I still don't know. Yeah. What do you? It's about BJ. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, whatever. I mean, I really did try, but. But the, one of my favorite things is um, is the end, you know, all the counter melodies. There's like three or four just going at each other. And I met Robin once, I was asking about that, and he said, oh, that's just God Only Knows. And when you go back and listen to the end of God Only Knows, it's exactly that. Mm. Wow. It's, you know, the, the lead vocal counter melody, and then there's the real long way of the world dragging out over the top, and it's exactly how God Only Knows is. That but, is amazing observation. Thank you, Robin. That is killer. That is awesome. Yeah. Wow. BJ, your thoughts on Way of the World? Yeah, this is a contender for my favorite of all Cheap Trick songs. Definitely, like, top five. Um, absolutely love this song. I think they probably had problems with the lyrics. I mean, originally it had a completely different set of lyrics, and it was called "See Me Now," yeah. and and I, you know, I think you know Robin and Rick are both credited on writing this song. I think, and um, they they probably they had a great and amazing song, and I think they had trouble fitting the right lyrics to it, probably, and they just ended up with what they ended up with, and it was probably part of the rush to get the album done. But Which is probably one of the points he was making that they could have probably worked on. You know, it's kind of reminds. You know, thinking about the first line, it's kind of like a stalker kind of the first couple lines. Yeah, it's like stalking this person. But <laughs> uh, amazing, amazing songwriting. You know, apart from the lyrics, which are the lyrics are fine. They they work, and uh, you know, it's a great melody. The lyrics serve the melody well. So, but yeah, I absolutely love this song. Yeah, they're not bad lyrics. I mean, when you don't really think about the lyrics, you're all set. Yeah. It's if you bad lyrics then that pulls you in i never thought about the lyrics which is you know which is kind of cool it didn't it didn't you know set itself it didn't bring attention to itself right now classic rock in the best sense of the word from cheap trick
excellent track. Can't get much better. Uh, just, just fantastic all the way around. Again, sorry, I'm just going to praise this album. There's not much I can do about it. The video for that was cool too, with they're in front of the judge. Yeah, didn't didn't you think that was kind of weird? Because I remember seeing that on Don Kirshner's rock concert when Rick flips himself off. Yeah, the finger. That's great. Did did they show that on TV? You know. It was weird. It was like I don't I don't know if anyone even paid attention to what they were airing. I think it was so fast. They, they, you know, it, it aired like that. I'm sure. I don't think they cut it. Yeah. Weird. No, I remember seeing it at the time on Don Kirshner's rock concert. Going, what did I just see? Did they really do that? And I remember uh, some of my friends. You know, like the next Monday, because back then, you know, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have Facebook, and all this stuff. And I remember, you know. Monday at school, the first chance we got to talk to you. Did, did you guys see him give the finger to himself? It was so weird. Those were the days. It was fun. Our next track is The House is Rockin' with Domestic Problems, written by Tom Peterson and Rick Nielsen. To me, this song sounds like it could have been on Heaven Tonight with no problem. Uh, yeah, I, I like the song. It's definitely not one of my favorite Cheap Trick songs, probably like mid-range for me. But, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, here we go again with the darkness underneath the, uh, you know, it's a party rock song about domestic violence, which, <laughs> you know, that's Rick Nielsen for you. But um, it's one thing about this song is it's really great live, and they've been doing it in recent years. And it's really fun to see live, this song. Uh, Dean, your thoughts on it? Uh, I love this song. I mean, it was, again, it's coinciding when I first was learning how to play guitar, and that riff is just freaking out of control. Um it's again a lot of Beatles stuff on it for me. All the you know the heavy, he, you know the heavy harmony that very she's so heavy reminds me of, and uh, always like that. But yeah, the lyric at the you know the one lyric that always set me off is like you know he went and bought a gun. It's like oh gee, <laughs> oh, I guess I guess there's a conclusion here. But um and all this the phrasing at the end he he you know he throws in please please me and think about it by the yardbirds and the yeah I love. He references things, and that's like an old, you know, jazz trick, you know, just throwing in other songs at the end of it. And Rick always did that, and I always thought that was so cool. Another thing that Cheap Trick always, you know, throw little clues in here and there. I think it would have been really funny if they would have just left out the parentheses part, and then, you know, you wouldn't even notice, unless you listened closely, you wouldn't even notice what the song was about. <laughs> you know, just be the house is rocking, the house is rocking, you know. <laughs> So I think they should have just left the domestic problems part off of there, but I guess that was kind of the punchline. But um, it would maybe it would have been even funnier or, you know, more humorous if uh, you yeah, just had to figure it out on your own, and it right. was kind of deceptive, you know. Don't you think that that's Rick? Just you yeah. know, that that smile of his right there with domestic problems, because yeah. it, it 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 like you said, it's written as one thing, but it's really another. Yeah. Right. It's just the cleverness of Rick Nielsen again. Just fantastic stuff. Great riffs. Nothing but praise. Love it, love it, love it. Um, I remember I was at a party and this song was playing and I was, somebody was talking to me and they wouldn't shut up and it seemed like the song went on for like 19 minutes. This this song. And it's it reminds me of the uh, when... John Lennon was talking about how he wrote She Said, She Said, where Henry Fonda was going on talking about, well, I know what it's like to be dead. And, yeah. yeah. 
but I but sometimes when I hear the end of the house is rocking, I I'm at that party and I'm just like, is this ever going to end? You know that where it just keeps going on and going on and going on and going on. Because when you think about it, this song is five minutes and twelve seconds, whereas Dream Police is only three forty nine. So it is a fairly long song. Well, I know. Not as long, not as long as the next track. No. Dean Falcone, your thoughts on Gonna Raise Hell? Love Gonna Raise Hell. Um, okay, so we were talking before, you know, everybody says, oh, they're trying to do a disco song. I, I, you know, I never thought of this as a disco song at, at all, other than, you know, that kind of beat, which had, you know, that beat's been around long before disco. Mm -hmm. you know, and I think Rick actually calls it a disco jungle beat. Ah. It's, you know, it's just, it's just a heavy, dark groove. I mean, and forget it, Robin. I mean, that's, in, you know, his singing on that is insane. You know, all that mother stuff. and uh, Cool arrangements. Strings on this are great. I, I love the string arrangements on this song. I know it's a long song, but, uh, you know, I, I never had a problem getting through the whole thing. Live is a drag sometimes when you go and see them because you know they could be doing three or four other songs instead of that. that. But, you know, in the moment, it's always cool. Uh, Plus, you I, know, you're, 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 you're kind of not alone with the... Uh, the, the small stuffs that make up the bigger picture of the song. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, there's all those little moments that uh, don't always hit live that are on the track. That's that very sense. That makes a lot of sense. Although it's those little arrangement things that keep it. It's you know again we'll, you know when Need Your Love comes up, it's the same kind of thing. It's a long song, but there's so many cool parts and things build up because they kind of sound like they're gonna you know it's gonna break down, but then it goes into another thing and it's you know it's really you know, smart. Mm -hmm. uh, Bunny Carlos has explained the length of the song by stating that the song was originally intended to be about five minutes long, but when the band decided to go for a disco interpretation, they improvised an additional five minutes during the recording. According to Carlos, the first take of the improvised music sounded good enough to the band that, that it was okay to be left in. BJ, your thoughts on Gonna Raise Hell? Well... I mean, it's a cool song and would, would probably be a highlight in many other bands' catalogs, but when it comes to Cheap Trick, for me, I don't like the... I, don't, I just don't like long, repetitive songs. That's just my personal taste, and uh, especially live. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of this song, and I guess I hold Cheap Trick to a different standard than other bands. Sometimes I think about some of my least favorite Cheap Trick songs, if I heard them on some band that had one album in 1980 then i'd probably think it's a great song but when it, i'm comparing it to the rest of cheap tricks catalog it doesn't hold up for me so yeah a lot of times if i listen to this album i'm sure i flip the record after domestic problems <laughs> uh yeah it's and especially i definitely would prefer this song to not be in the set list when i go see them but uh it's it's a cool song i remember seeing this on the uh, tv show freaks and geeks yeah yeah. That was a cool usage of the song. And Sam Kinison covered this song on his 1990 album, Leader of the Band.
some authors, such as Ira Robbins of Trouser Press, have believed that the song was about the Jonestown Massacre. However, the song was written before that event. But I remember Cheap Trick uh, kind of using that, you know, when they would do interviews and stuff like that. Rick would always allude to all these different things. And uh, Rick always loved to play the press like he, you know, would arrange a song. He, he, would, he would play the press just like he would his guitar. And I always thought that was very cool. Yeah. He's not a dummy. No. Um... Let's see. According to drummer Bunny Carlos, producer Tom Worman, and enhanced the snare drum sound on the recording by overdubbing the sound of two wooden boards hitting each other. And you can hear it if you actually put headphones on. You can hear the, the difference between that and the snare if you actually left, left right it. Mm-hmm. Author and friend of the show Mike Hayes claims that this song... That, bah, 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 fix this, BJ, okay? Yep. Author Mike Hayes... Oh, take two. Author and friend of the show, Mike Hayes, claims that with this song, producer Tom Warman achieved the definitive Cheap Trick sound, even though the song styles differs from typical Cheap Trick fare. What is typical Cheap Trick, though? I mean, anyone that thinks that there is such a beast, you know, other than good rock and roll, is kind of crazy, because Cheap Trick really is kind of all over the, the map, in a way. Yeah, with with you know with within their wheelhouse right. of greatness, but they'll always say that you know we're just four guys that you know play loud, and that's really what you know them live is, is them live, and you know I wouldn't say this song particularly would, would have that. Three great chords, four great guys. Right. <laughs> always love that ad. Well, with with this, we are going to flip over the record. But here we are on side two with I'll Be With You Tonight, written by Rick Nielsen, Bonnie Carlos, Tom Peterson, and Robin Zander. So it's a, it's a rare time that they all get a credit on this. Dean Falcone, would you like to take over? I have a theory for that, too. Because mm-hmm. they ripped that. The riff is from a Naz song called Under the Ice. And I figured one guy didn't want to take credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> The court. Yeah, I, um, this song is ridiculous. I mean, this is what a crazy, awesome, cheap trick song. It, it's the hooks are insane right out, right out of the gate. I mean, that hook is nuts to me. For some reason, this song always reminded me of uh, like the father of power pop of "It Won't Be Long" by the Beatles. Yes, you know, there's a, that riff, and then there's you know they have again there's a diminished chord, and it won't be long. That sounds a lot like the one they use mm-hmm. in in this, and it's that that Beatley thing. Um, this is just like one of my favorite songs, period, by Chew Trick. I, every time I hear it, I'm automatically, you know, I'm 14, forget it. it. It's that feeling. I love that part. Tonight will be the first night where it shifts, like the drums shift. In the, that. It's amazing. I mean, chicken skin, you know. Well, chicken, exactly. Well, well, kind of what happens there, you're, you're more of a musician than I ever will be. What, what are they doing there that causes that? That's just funny changing the beat up. I mean, you know, just it's a, it's a, you know, you're bringing it down dynamically. You're bringing it down to he's going from a straight beat, and he's bringing it down to like floor toms and rack toms doing that. You know, that bunny, you know, almost not not hello kitties, but it's similar to that where it's more. Yeah. There's no snap of the snare anymore. It's just right. a mute sound, but the rolling of it 
the way he rolls on the toms gives you that feeling. It's really euphoric to me. It's amazing performance. Well, and what you, what you have there is that that part of the song is from the early song they had called Tonight. Right, and so it's this song is kind of a Frankenstein song. It's kind of Frankenstein songwriting at its best, where a couple of inferior songs come together and make a really great song. The chorus part, the "I'll Be With You Tonight" part, was new, but then there's part from "Hot Tomato," the that song that they did with Zeno in set like '73, and then there was the song "Tonight," which I think I think both of those songs are were on the Christmas episode. Yeah. And thank yeah, thank you for playing those because. I hadn't had some of those, and that was really cool to hear. But Hot Tomato, you know, that turned into, you know, Taking Me Back, too. Part of it is in Taking Me Back, yeah, like the bridge. Like and then a lot of it is in this song. Like, I'm just saying, yeah, but that's the, the whole verse thing. Yeah. The, the verse is the same. It's like, you know, Hot Tomato was not a great song, but it spawned two awesome songs. BJ, your thoughts? Yeah, I love it. I mean, very hooky, catchy, fun, great song, you know? What else can I say? And first song on side two, I always, you know, that, that's, what's, that's one of the big things we've lost. This isn't track five. You know, it was, yeah. it was the first song on side two, and they picked it to put it there for a reason, you know? Right. And you know, you bought records back then. When you put that on, that was, that was the right one to pick. Yeah, I mean, albums had two first songs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Now, now this song is just in the middle of the, of the album, you know, on CD or on iTunes. It's just in the middle instead of being a first song, you know? Well, I don't know if Robin ever tried to do any acting, but there's something that I call uh, his uh, acting singing or something like that, his right. uh, melodic acting, however you want to put it. But he goes from being this, uh, like, kid in high school to this serial killer like that. Yep. And it's, <laughs> yeah. there's, that, there's that one part where he's going, I really want from you. And he's just saying, from you. From you. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just sounds so creepy. Like he's staring yeah. out, you know, he's outside staring into a window. <laughs>
BJ, your thoughts on Voices? Yeah, it's a beautiful ballad. It's a ready-made hit single. Should be a staple of classic rock radio, but it's not. I mean, it should be an iconic song from the 70s, as far as I can tell, especially coming on the heels of Budokan. Here they have a amazing ballad as a single, and what happens? I don't understand, but... You know, it's not a song that anybody knows outside of Cheap Trick fans, and it's just crazy. It's, it was on the radio for a bit when it came out. Yeah. And remember, you know, because I was a fan. I was a fan when it came out, but it was like, and it's like I was just amazed that it didn't go. You probably know what what it ended up doing. The single. Uh, the highest it got was thirty-two. Yeah, that's crazy to me. I know. And it was on the radio a good amount. I mean, everybody kind of knew the song, and yeah, that's. So, all right, so tell me if if I was just too young or if I just smoked too much weed when this came out. So the beginning of the song, they're saying band names, right? Are you anybody else hearing this or am I just, was I totally drugged out? I hear Kiss, The Cars, Charlie Daniels, Ted. Focus on it and see what you hear. Okay. I hear the cars. I definitely hear Charlie. Duh. I hear the. You know, it sounds like Charlie Daniels, which makes sense at the time because he was really big. And and um, I hear Kiss is one of the first things I hear, and then I hear it a couple times other. You know, other uh, right afterwards. I've I've had a lot of people say, oh, "What are they saying about Kiss in that song?" They do, and it, and it sounds like the Cars. And and then um yeah, and I know there's other stuff in there, and it's just like yeah, I I, I no one ever talks about that, and I you know I mentioned to a friend back then he goes, "You're just you're just fucked up." Yeah, I had never actually tried to figure out what the whispering was. I had never done that. See what see what the fans think that listen to the show. Yeah, I'd love to know other people's thoughts and uh, what they hear. Is Dean Falcone crazy? Yes. Maybe they were just like reading Billboard, the Billboard <laughs> chart or something. <laughs> That'd be great if that was his story. Wow. The song was originally recorded with Cheap Trick bass player guitar. Take two. The song was originally recorded with. Cheap Trick bass guitar player Tom Peterson singing the lead vocal, but was later re-recorded for the Dream Police album with Cheap Trick's usual lead vocalist Robin Zander singing the lead. I think that was a good call. Nothing against Tom, but to me, you know, of course I haven't heard that version either, but I think that this was uh, such a perfect Beatle-like song. As a matter of fact, the solo, to me, has always reminded me of something that George Harrison would have done. It's so it's very Abbey Road, the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, that that whole that downfall thing. Absolutely. And that that's Steve Lukather, right? But on acoustic guitar. Yeah. It says Steve Lukather, the band Toto plays lead and acoustic guitar on, on the version of the song on Dream Police, but is uncredited. Yeah, I think they wanted to track that one kind of live and, and it was I, I think they tracked a bass drum, uh, Rick on electric and Steve Lukather on acoustic and Robin sang. 
that's that's the reason I think he was on it. Plus, he had a nice acoustic guitar. Where I think Rick said it's like we wanted to get that guitar, and, we, and he wouldn't let us borrow it. Mm-hmm. I always loved uh, when he's playing the the solo in the song, and he like adjusts his tie. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's why we love him. Yeah, he uh, used to he used to always play this solo on. He had like a fluorescent yellowish or green kind of yeah. um, see through guitar with a hole in it that he could stick his hand through, and yeah. he used to always stand up. On like the 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 amp case or whatever at the front yeah. of the stage, he doesn't do he doesn't have the I don't know I haven't seen him with that he hasn't pulled out that guitar on this song in recent years, but he used to always use the same guitar for this solo and do like the same thing, like in yeah. the '90s. I remember him seeing him a lot doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, I get lost every time that solo comes on. Just amazing, and like we were talking about that Robin acting singing thing. Yeah. Uh, are there any How I Met Your Mother fans here? No, I've never watched it. Well, I'll, I'll read this bit to you. And I always thought it was hilarious because there's this, uh, well, I'll just read this. The song is featured in the show How I Met Your Mother in the episode called The Pineapple Incident where Ted has a hangover and Ted, Marshall, Lily, and Barney have to find out the entire story by telling it from their point of view. The song is played when Ted gets drunk and calls Robin and plays the song on the jukebox and starts singing it until he falls over. Hey, it's... What, what are the first lyrics of the song, guys? Me again. Hey, it's me again. Oh, when he says... Wait to I see you again. Yeah, I, I fell in love with you again. He falls off the bar stool. <laughs> right at that point. And I just thought it was great. It was great because it was one of those kind of things. Uh, he, he goes over the jukebox, and you can hear the song start out. And the one character looks up and goes, cheap trick. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> this was something he would do when he was hung up on a chick, so... Funny. You'll get this back at the end of class. Ding! Class dismissed. Here you go, kid. You call whoever you want. Thank you, kind sir. At least someone appreciates the fact that I am doing and not thinking. And now, I don't think I won't not go to the bathroom. Was that necessary? He is not making smart decisions. Exactly. It's like, what's he going to do next? I don't know, but I want to find out. Oh, Ted. Hello again, Ted. Hey, it's me again. Play to see again. Please, can I see you every day? That explains the ankle. And then we brought you home and put you to bed. I just thought it was it was funny. It, it kind of sounds like he's saying, "Hey, it's me again, playing the C again." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> playing the C chord again. Yeah. <laughs> so just a great song all the way around. Should have been a huge hit. It was in my heart. Yeah. Well, it is still is. Yeah, it's still in my top ten. Next track, "Writing on the Wall."
BJ, your thoughts on Writing on the Wall? It's a great, fun, cheap trick song. Maybe a little too easy for Rick. You know, kind of just, you know, Rick off the cuff probably. But it's a fun song. And apparently it was recorded with Rick singing. Wow. Um, I think it says that in Mike Hayes' book. So, I don't, you know, I don't know if they were... You know, they were thinking about having... I don't know why when you have Robin Zander in the band you're going to think about anyone else singing, but, you know, they were putting Tom on songs and Rick on songs, and I don't really know what the thought process was there, but... Yeah, this is a, a fun song, you know, it's... I mean, it's not filler, but it's it's also not, you know, anything outstanding, or, you know... Good album. Yeah. Well, to me, it's it's almost like the flip side of Way of the World, just not as good. Yeah, not even close. Yeah, Dean. Um, yeah, not one of my favorite songs in this album. I like it's pretty much what BJ said. I'm happy it's there. It's it, it doesn't you know, it's a fun song. It, they didn't spend a lot of time working on this song for sure. Um, and, you know, it reminds me of Revolution when it starts off. You know, Chuck Berry kind of you know Beatles Revolution. And I always thought that was cool. And, and all the concert yell-outs, I don't know, sometimes it was silly. And I mean, I think the song's kind of about them, is from what I've read. It's yeah. About Agriful, yeah, which makes sense. And, uh, you know, I, I like what Rick wrote. It was Rick wrote that he, he was trying to, he felt like he was trying to be Roy Wood for three and a half minutes, and I thought that's always cool. <laughs> Wood is always a thing. And then it's got the parts with the sound effects at it, like, all right, Tokyo. Just the concert shout-outs, you know, um, the, whatever his name was, Kirk. Was it Kirk Dyer, the, the driver who did that? Is that the guy who did the, the Budokan announcements? Oh, the, you mean Wheel? Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, he was the one who did those, right? What yeah. was his name, DJ? Well, they call him Wheel. That's, like, right. his nickname. I'm not mm-hmm. even sure of his real name. It's Kirk Dyer. Okay. But he was the I think it was the driver, which makes sense that that was his nickname. Right. But yeah, yeah, he did. Um, I think he did the UFO live album too. Yeah, he was he was sick. He had cancer, and they did a show in Madison a few years, well, maybe five or six years ago, called Wheel Fest to raise money for him. And oh. I went to that show, and then I just saw them in Beaver Dam last month, and they brought him out on stage, and he's he's okay now. Oh, that's um, great. The treatment works, so uh, that, that was fantastic. pretty great. Yeah. So, Will, if you're listening, we're we're glad you're still around, buddy. Well, this next song is one of my brother's favorite songs. He just loves this song. He sings it to this day. uh, And he will always make sure that he owns a copy of Dream Police because of this song. It's I I Know What I Want. And this is uh, Tom Peterson's big vocal song and love this track it's uh it, it's a good fun track dean your thoughts on it uh i love this song i um i was a you know i was a crazy tom fan when this came out i was like i thought it, you know again he's not robin but it was a cool you know it was a it's a cool song you know it definitely has that the velvet underground thing he likes to do which is funny because the verse kind of has a you know a waiting for the man kind of same kind of vibe really Mm-hmm. you think about it it's very similar to that i always I, thought this would have been a killer kiss song like you know this this could have been on destroyer to me oh, that's, that's a kiss chorus to me yeah you know? this this would have been great for gene yeah we hear him singing this yeah totally uh some of the lyrics are stupid 
yes. in this one and our uh, world's world's greatest you know it, it, it seems like that keeps popping up either be it in everything works if you let it or uh, world's greatest lover you know it seems like this is uh, from Rick's doodle pad you know where he has all these lyrics just hanging around let's finish the song quickly yeah <laughs> BJ your thoughts uh, great hook on the chorus. This is a very simple song. Um, and I probably liked it the first 100 times I heard it. But at this point, I would prefer to never hear it again. And definitely probably the low point of the set list when I go see them. Just because it's every single time this song. And I'm just sick of it, you know? Uh, yeah, but don't you think it gives Robin a break? Robin doesn't need a break. He's I'm just break. so sick of this song and just really sick of it you know <laughs> that's just yeah. where i'm at with this song I, I i'm with you on that and it's i think tom's been doing waiting for the man again recently in yeah last, yeah last months which instead of that which is great man give the guy another song really <laughs> if, if he's gonna sing one you know change it up crazy tom peter crazy tom peterson fans please make sure that that was bj saying that okay. <laughs> i'm a crazy tom peterson fan so yes i'm i love tom peterson but you know opening chords of the song it's just just so wonderful this is this is a song that's bigger than it is if that makes any sense bj said it's a it's simple but it's the yeah. good simple it's you know that's simple is not oh yeah simple is not bad not easy to do that either it's easy to you know cover that up and do whatever that's a but cool simple that intro is great simple might not simple doesn't hold up over and over and over i guess is probably oh. part of it but like i said the hook is great on the chorus Mm -hmm. um, but I can't, you know, it's hard to look at this song objectively, like, because I'm just sick of it. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. This is stepping out of Cheap Trick Land, so please be patient with this, folks. Pick another simple song, Wild Thing. Yep. Don't you kind of almost feel the same way about that? Well, I never liked that song. I, I like I like it, but I don't want to hear it a hundred times. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm yeah. Right. So it's the same kind of effect, is, is what we're discussing. <laughs> I don't want to hear it more than twice. Yeah. Okay. But this song has got a great chorus. It yeah. does have a great chorus, yeah. Scott, but you know, again, you know. You guys should see my brother sing this song. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> <sighs> Anyhow, the final track of the album is here. Need your love. <laughs> 
or Niger. Uh, written by Rick Nielsen and Tom Peterson. Uh, seven minutes and 39 seconds. It's weird that how like some songs are only like three minutes and 20 seconds. Then you've got these monsters like Gonna Raise Hell and Need Your Love and even the houses rocking with domestic problems. They're just, it's, it seems like uh, they did not mind stepping into the long song category. So yeah. like Heaven Tonight, right? But they did that. They always did that. Even from that early on, you know, their live shows always had, you know, pop songs. And long, freaking, crazy songs. Mm-hmm. That was definitely their thing. You know, they come. You know, I know Rick is a huge, you know, Peter Green, Green's Fleetwood Mac fan, and a lot of those songs remind me of that kind. Of, like this song, particularly the beginning of this song, is like Green Alishi to me. You know, it sounds just like it. You know, and they also, you know, part of that ended up in Big in the middle of Big Eyes too. But it's that long, dark, kind of sludgy thing. Mm-hmm. Agreed. BJ? Yeah, well, I already said this when we talked about Gonna Raise Hell, but um, generally I'm not really a fan of long, dirgy, repetitive songs. It's just not what I prefer to listen to. Um, and here's what I would have done. Leave this song as a Budokan exclusive song and put Can't Hold On on this record instead. Because to me, Can't Hold On is so much better such an incredible song and you know they didn't even record it in the studio back then as far as i know so nidra was already on budokan you know for one thing so but they didn't know that i don't, I don't think they knew that. true when they were making the record uh but they didn't know budokan was going to be a hit album right. in america right well they probably liked the song enough to figure out hey we want people to hear it and they didn't figure no one was going to hear budokan I, I assume that they didn't think many people would hear that. I'm just right. saying, picture can't hold on in this spot instead of need your love.
I love Need Your Love, though. I just love the, the feeling. It's got a feeling. Well, yeah, but if they would have went with what you're saying, BJ, that would have been like a standard blues song that would not have closed the album off properly. It's not a standard blues song. It's well, Cheap Trick Blues, like Rick yeah. always says. I, I dig that. No, I dig it, I, Can't Hold On I just love so much. I, I love it way too. more than this song. And um, I think I do too, but I just don't know about it closing such a great album. That's all. And I was also thinking uh, Take Me, I'm Yours would have could have been another song they could have put here maybe. Yeah, that's a great one. But that's why they're Cheap Trick. And we're saying they put it all out. It's nice to have it all. Well, how does this rate in your love of Cheap Trick albums? Would you put it in your top ten? Would you put it in your top five? Where are we at, Dean Falco, with you? My top five. It, it, it fluctuates in four, uh, four and five. Hmm. BJ? Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously top ten. Uh, top five, I'm not sure. I'm thinking. I mean, I would, it might be... No, I don't know if it would make the top five for me. With the first two albums and one on one and Rockford, it's close. It's it's hovering right around there, <laughs> I guess. Well, one of the problems with this album being so iconic, it's the same thing that the same problem that I have with uh, the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's, and Kiss's Destroyer, is that oh, I've listened to that enough, or I know that enough, and so you you don't really listen to it like it's not your go-to albums because you know it so well but then every once in a while you dust it off and you hear it with new ears and it's great well it's just i mean it's a great album but look at the competition that it has right. you know in the cheap trick catalog so it's just even if it's not in my top five that doesn't mean i don't love it and it's you know it's hovering around there <laughs> but and we want to encourage folks to buy the vinyl of this i don't care if you have a record player or not but if you can find a good vinyl version of this you get all those goodies that we discussed earlier so we want to encourage you to do that because there's nothing like laying your album out and reading the liner notes and all that cool stuff so try and find that and that awesome vinyl box set that came out last record store day and that that set's beautiful i don't know if you guys have seen that no i haven't seen it in person but it's beautiful they did a really nice job excellent and uh is there a version on cd that you recommend that folks pick up i don't know the, you know the reissue didn't really have any bonus tracks that really were you know that oh, big oh, of a deal but it, um, it was cool hearing dream police without any um yeah on yeah it, though. hear the band playing it and the you know the how actually i love the um the harmonies on brain that goes over the ultramental part how it just keeps going longer and it's actually really cool to hear it like that without anything covering it up well, I, I definitely recommend the po that folks pick up the expanded edition. Uh, it's worth it uh, to me. You get The House is Rockin' with Domestic Problem, a live version, Way of the World, previously unreleased live, Dream Police, no strings version. Uh, definitely worth picking up, and I know what I want live. Uh, and and it, seriously, you can get it for like four ninety nine, five ninety nine on Amazon and probably Best Buy. Yeah. But so, to me, no, the, to me, the obvious thing to do was to put found all the parts on that, and then on all shook up, they could have put, you know, uh, the soundtrack songs from that time period. I totally agree. All, I, I found all the parts should have been stuck with this, as far as I, I feel the same way. Yeah, that's more 
connected to this. Agreed. Well, we recommend that if if you do not have this album, you need to pick it up. This is definitely uh, one of their most amazing albums, and this is one of the albums that I, along with Budokan, uh, you could recommend to a newbie, and uh, it's it's definitely worth it. There's there's nothing bad on this album. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean that's true. That one thing about this record is it would be a good place to start. Like it yeah. would it would be a good intro to somebody who doesn't know Cheap Trick. Mm-hmm. And we thank you for taking some of your valuable time and cheap tricking with us. And uh, we will see you on the next episode.
You were looking for 
And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap tricking. Hey, Ken, could you just say something about elephants fucking quick? (laughs) (laughs) I forget what we're talking about. (laughs) Oh, you did? Yeah, you... Our last... What was it? Next position, please? Yeah. You just said... You were like... So you said something about how many... You wouldn't believe how many pictures there are on the the internet of elephants fucking, and then I... I put it at the very end of the episode. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Great.